0: looking at the, the, the big picture, looking at a Christian view of our world. A few weeks ago we started with creation and we, we affirmed that there is a purpose behind creation, that there is a person behind creation, a person who is distinct from creation because some would say, well, God is in everything, but God is distinct from creation. He is the creator. He, however, is actively involved in his creation. He brought us into being. And then came the fall. God, having given us freedom and responsibility. To love Him, to care for our world, He gave us boundaries. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few more weeks ago than that, that Satan rejected God's authority, and in turn, Adam and Eve chose knowledge, but knowledge that that was not in submission to the Creator. And that changed everything. Today we're looking at the, the final victory of God. And I think Paul was giving out some, uh, some little uh, handouts. And uh, I've lost my copy of it. There you go. So one, one like that which you might find really helpful just to follow. And you might even find it helpful to, to jot some things down and uh, you might even find some questions that you want to throw a bit of a curveball at me at some point and I'll duck it and I'll pass it straight somewhere. No, but anyway, that might just be a help as, as, we, as we read uh, and listen together that you, you kind of just jot, jot things down. But, but we're looking today at the final victory of God. And we need to explore that a little bit. You see, ever since the fall, as human beings, we've tried to make our way and make sense of our world. Now, I want to tell you a story. And it's, uh, it's from a book called Politically Correct Bedtime Stories, given to me a few years ago. And uh, it tries to take all the kind of uh, isms out of our fairy stories. But there's a really helpful little fairy story in here called Chicken Little. It's kind of based on Chicken Licken. which, uh, hands up if you know the story of Chicken Licken. There we go, yeah. Cool, okay. If you don't, well, this is a version of it, okay? Chicken Little lived down a winding country lane surrounded by tall oak trees. Now, it should be mentioned that the name Little was a family name and not a derogatory, size-biased name. It was only by sheer coincidence that Chicken Little was also of shorter-than-average height. Now, one day, Chicken Little was playing in the road when a gust of wind blew through the trees and an acorn was blown loose and hit Chicken Little square on the head. Now, Chicken Little, while he had a small brain... In the physical sense, she did use it to the best of her abilities. And so when she screamed, the sky is falling down, the sky is falling down, her conclusion was not wrong, or stupid, or silly, only logically under-enhanced. Chicken Little ran down the road until she came to the house of her neighbour, Henny Penny, who was tending her garden. "'The sky is falling! The sky is falling!' Henny Penny stuck her head out from the garden and said, "'Chicken Little, why are you carrying on so?' "'Chicken Little said, "'I was playing in the road when a huge chunk of the sky fell and landed on my head. "'See, here's the bump to prove it.' "'There's just one thing to do,' said Henny Penny. "'What's that?' asked Chicken Little. ''Sue the blighters,'' said Henny Penny. Chicken Little was puzzled. ''Sue for what?'' ''Personal injury, discrimination, intentional infliction of emotional distress, negligent infliction of emotional distress, tortious interference, the tort of outrage, you name it, we'll sue for it.'' ''Good gracious,'' said Chicken Little. ''What will we get for all that?'' We can get payment for pain and suffering, compensatory damages, punitive damages, disability and disfigurement, long-term care, mental anguish, impaired earning power, loss of self-esteem. Person, oh person, said Chicken Little joyfully, who are we going to sue? Well, I don't think the sky per se is recognised as a sueable entity by the state, said Henny Penny. I think we should go and find a lawyer and learn who is suable, said Chicken Little, her diminutive brain working overtime. That's a good idea. And while we're there, I can ask whom to sue for these ridiculously bony legs of mine. They've caused me nothing but anguish and embarrassment all my life, and I should be compensated for that. And so it goes on. The sky is falling on my head. The sky is falling on my head. As you hear a story like that, whether it's the politically correct version or the real version, whether you read books like Asterix and stuff, you can tell what an intellect I have. There is a sense for some people that there is nothing Beyond the here and now. That this is all there is. And all that there is is to be found in reason. And if that's all there is, then we come from nothing and we go to nothing. We come from chaos and we return to chaos. And so the sky falling on one's head might be okay in a slightly primitive way but some making sense of a random existence. People kind of hope against hope that maybe they're not just kind of floating around in in a flotsam of nothingness. But as Christians, we see that actually if there is someone, someone, who is outside of all that we can see, feel, hear, taste, smell and everything else, who made this world, who loves it, who sustains it and who's committed to it, then actually maybe there is hope. That there was a beginning and that there will be a purposeful end, not just the sky falling on our heads. And in the story of creation and fall, we can see how things were meant to be at the beginning and how humanity has contributed to to things not being as God intended. We've looked over the last few weeks at how God's involvement in the world has been and how he's still involved. And we see how the world, as it is, pains God. And we've seen how he began to relate to us. First through the people of Israel. And then, in the midst of the people of Israel, he brought his son Jesus to deal with sin and its consequences. Because he wants to restore us to a perfection that he started with. Now I think that's really hard for us to begin to even grasp, but it's kind of where we're going this morning, to, to look at that. But I wonder, for you, and uh, because we've got a little thingy mic, we could use it, couldn't we? What does perfection look like for you? Maybe just give you a moment to think about that while I set up a flip chart, because I reckon we could scribble a few ideas down. What does perfection look like for you? I don't know if we've got a volunteer to, to just come and scribble some ideas on the board while we hear from people. Would somebody just do that for us? Wonderful, Mary, thank you. Okay, now that's fine, but it just might be helpful as we, we might only get a couple of ideas. But what does perfection Look like for you, and it might be all sorts of things. It doesn't have to be super pious, it might be a Dennis Bergkamp goal is perfection. In fact, yeah, let's put it up there. Dennis Bergkamp's goals, yeah. Sorry, finished. sorry, something that is finished, finished. something that's finished. I said, yeah, Dennis's goal, that's good because Bergkamp's really difficult to spell. Sorry, order, order, so something that's finished. Order is perfection. Without blemish. Without blemish. Ooh, excellent. Any other thoughts? What is perfection for you? It could be very kind of broader. It could be something quite specific, something that just you think,
1: oh, yes. I was going to say, the perfect way. <laughs>
0: Meeting an expectation in a perfect way. Meeting expectation perfectly. Yeah, Keith. Newborn baby. Newborn baby. Yeah. Standing out. Wow. Wow. The perfection of a newborn baby. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> flower in full bloom.
0: A flower in full bloom. I love aquilegia, columbines, those granny's bonnets things. You turn them up and they are incredible. A flower in full bloom. Yeah. Anything else that's perfection? It's great this, isn't it? Because each person is at the other side of the church. That's good.
1: Completion.
0: Completion.
1: Finishing something.
0: Anything else? Yeah, Wendy. We're getting going now, we're thinking, aren't we? Listening to a piece of music from a student and they've done the best that they can do. Yeah. Doing your
1: best.
0: With, <laughs> yeah, with music, though, I think that's really important just to hear in music something that is just perfection. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Pete. Thank
1: God's creation
0: without man God's creation without man whoa whoa thank you Pete
1: Jesus
0: Jesus. thank you Bob that's a thought provoker though Pete I know
1: that's (laughs) why
0: Jesus okay yes Mary Cadbury's chocolate chocolate. wow you can't let's all go home that's it To be loved in imperfection. To be loved in imperfection. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that is awesome, Tom. To be loved in imperfection. Carol. Joy in the really small things. Joy in the really small things, yeah. Actually, just beginning to picture some of these things is lovely. Yeah, Jane? Water. Water. Yeah. Actually... (laughs) When you see beautiful, clear water just running, there's nothing quite like it. There are so many little things, aren't there? Anybody else got a burning thing to do? Because we've actually got loads of thoughts about perfection and what perfection means to us. That's great. Tom? I, I, I would go further because I think to accept to be loved in imperfection. So actually, okay. grasp the idea, but I don't always... Take it. Right, so and to accept, be, to accept so being that, loved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah absolutely. Clicking me off, Can't it? Wow Well, I just thank thank you, Mary, for those. It's, it's probably good just to, to have them there, so that people can, can maybe see that and uh, just reflect on that. These are glimpses of our kind of, our understanding of perfection, our experience, our thoughts of what perfection begins to feel and look like. And I want us just to reflect on that for a few moments. I wanted to play a sort of a little poem thing that um, it's a poem by a guy called Adrian Plass. And um, he tries to imagine... Heaven. It's just a couple of minutes long. It's just a a lovely perspective. Somebody trying to imagine what heaven is like from their kind of experience. Let me just play this for you to continue to think on perfection. This is the first run of a new piece of something that Steve sorted out for us yesterday.
1: When I'm in heaven, tell me there'll be kinds to fly. The kind they say you can control, although I never did for long. The kind that spin and spin and spin and spin, then salt and, and die and die and rise again and spin again and dive and die and rise up yet again. I love those kinds. When I'm in heaven, tell me there'll be friends to meet. In ancient oak-beamed Sussex pulps, enfolded by the wanton downs, and summer evenings lapping lazily against the shore of sweet, familiar little lands, inhabited by silence or by nonsense. The things you cannot safely say in any other place. I love those times. When I'm in heaven, Tell me there'll be seasons when the colors fly, poppies splashing flame through dying yellow, living green, and autumn's burning sadness has always made me cry for things that have to end. For winter fires that blaze, Some meadow filled with sunshine, filled with buttercups and filled with friends, you will chew a straw and fill us in on how things be.
0: somebody else's glimpse at perfection things that for him are kind of just resonating perfection maybe some of those you think yeah some of those you think hello but perfection there is hope in our Christian faith that actually At the end of time, there will be perfection. And the final victory of God is about establishing that perfection. And that's what we're going to look at just for a few minutes just now. But starting by looking at Jesus. Because actually Jesus began to give us real concrete glimpses of the kingdom of God. Of the way things should be and the way things will be. Think about it. Has he healed the sick? Has he fed the hungry? Has he raised the dead? Has he set people free from evil spirits? Has he calmed the storm? All sorts of incredible little signs of God's mastery and sovereignty over the things that actually mar this earth. He gave us glimpses of the kingdom of God. And then, of course, he dealt the mortal blow to sin and death when, as we celebrated a few weeks ago, he died and he rose again So there's a glimpse of heaven in some of the things that Jesus did. He said the kingdom of God is near as he just pointed us towards these things. And then he set his first followers the task of communicating the good news that there is hope for this world. And so the church was born charged to continue the work of pointing to the kingdom. And in our churches, there are glimpses, sometimes admittedly, shamefully, sometimes they are very faint glimpses, but sometimes they are beautiful and clear, and people see those glimpses of what it is to encounter the kingdom of God. and what we do and who we are. We need to embody kingdom values. That's why a while ago, a couple of years ago, we adopted as a church a number of values. Things like generosity and hospitality, love, commitment to one another, commitment to God's words. Things that would help us to develop values of the kingdom and help us to live those out. But you know, at this present time, it will only be partial. Yes, we can grow closer, become more and more like Jesus as we submit ourselves. But there is a day that is coming when we will be complete And whole. And that's spoken about time and again through Scripture. Debs and Mary read two passages, one from the Old Testament, one from right at the end of the New Testament, both of them picturing a renewed heaven and earth, a time where where God will finally bring all things together Jesus speaks of it too through his Gospels. And there are two things actually in the two readings that we just looked at, Isaiah 11 and Revelation 21, that are, are common threads to what we look to as we look to, to God's final victory. First of those is, is judgment. And the second is Recreation. So I want us just to spend a few moments just looking at judgment and recreation. Judgment, I guess, can feel really negative, can't it? It's, it's a word that we kind of think, ooh, don't, don't like the sound of judgment, that's, that's not so good. But what we're talking about here is real justice. It's not a judgment that comes out of selfishness or fear or vindictiveness that's a kind of a response to something but actually it's about justice. And if we're to see evil and sin in all its guises dealt with, then actually judgment is necessary. But it's not for us, but for God. Just look at Isaiah 11 briefly with me. There's just a couple of verses I'd like to to draw your attention to. Isaiah 11. Shout out a page number if you've got a church Bible just to help. 696. 696. Thank you. 696. Isaiah 11. Just look at verses 3 to 5. This is speaking of Jesus. Jesus will delight in the fear of the Lord. That fear that motivates obedience and righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. It's kind of a a balance there of something that's quite fearful and something that's quite hopeful. Both fearful and hopeful, sitting side by side. But actually, judgment is good news. I want just to read a very quick thing from, from a guy called Michael Lloyd. Who just really expresses ever so well why judgment is good news? Because you're kind of thinking, eh? Hey, is judgment really good news? Let me just read this to you. Judgment, then, though a dreadful prospect, is part of the good news of God. Seven reasons. It's good news because it means that pain and suffering and injustice and oppression will not go on forever. It's good news because it means that God still longs and looks for our company and he's not given up on relationship with us. It's good news because it means that God is not going to give up on our world. It's good news because it means that we are free and responsible human beings whose decisions are divinely respected and make an ultimate difference. It's good news because it means that we have a God who will not force us to do his will or go his way. It's good news because it means we live in a universe that will ultimately be moral. And it's good news because it means, it is the means by which God will purge creation of all that mars it, all that defaces its beauty, and all that prevents us from being fully and freely the creatures God made us to be. It will thereby be the gateway to a new heaven and a new earth in which justice dwells. So judgment, though fearful, because we kind of can't quite get our heads around real justice at times actually is really important to deal with the ills of our world but alongside judgment comes recreation in both Isaiah 11 and Revelation 21 there's beautiful pictures of recreation if you've still got Isaiah open Just think about these images of a wolf living with a lamb. That's nuts in our current world. What would a wolf do to a lamb? Rip it apart. But in a new creation, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And the little child will feed them. Because there's a recreation of, of the order of things. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. Just think about that in terms of the creation story and the full story, where it was the serpent that was identified as a deceiver in the new creation. No longer will the serpent Strike our heel. Same image of recreation in Revelation 21, creating a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more. Let me get to it rather than paraphrasing it. Give us a shout out of a page number if somebody gets to Revelation 21. 1249, One, if you want to take a look in the Pew Bibles. Revelation 21. But look at this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. Now just as an aside, I heard something really reassuring a few years ago about this. Because I love the sea. And I think there are probably a number of people here who love the sea. But think about where John was as he wrote this revelation. Revelation. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. Sea was his enemy, in fact, because he couldn't get anywhere. And in the ancient Near East, the sea was a fearful, unknown thing. So my sense is that there will be nothing fearful, but maybe there will still be the beauty of the sea or water, because it speaks of a river of life, and maybe that river will be big enough to sail on even if there ain't a sea. So let's, let's be praying for that because I know we've got sailors amongst us and uh, just people that love being by the water. But anyway, sorry, that's a complete aside. Excuse me. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself be- will be with them and be their God. God! who made us in his image, will dwell amongst us. And get this, there will be, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There will be recreation at the final victory of God. All that has been marred by the fall will be remade. Again, we can see glimpses of it now. In the beauty of flowers, in some of the things that we've, we've seen a newborn baby. But here's the beautiful thing too. We will be remade. Because right now, as Pete suggested... We humans stuff things up pretty well. But in a new creation, we will be remade. Just as Jesus' resurrection body was remade and restored. So there is hope to hold on to. But what about now? Because that, we don't know. When the final victory of God will come. No one knows. Except our Father in heaven. So, what about now? Because it's got to hit us now, hasn't it? It's got to affect us now. It's not just some kind of pie in the sky thing. We need to live in the light of the reality. And you know, in so many ways, we settle for second best. Tom Wright, I think, puts this really nicely. So again, forgive me if I just read a little bit. But he just puts it so nicely, this idea that we settle for second best and actually we don't need to. Tom Wright says this, we're made for spirituality, genuine spirituality, but often we wallow in introspection. We're made for joy, but we settle for pleasure. Pleasure. We're made for justice, but we clamour for vengeance. We're made for relationship, but we so often insist on our own way. We're made for beauty, and often we're satisfied with sentiment. But you know, the new creation has already begun. Wright goes on to say the sun has begun to rise and Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Jesus Christ all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of the present world. It's time in the power of the Spirit to take up our proper role, our fully human role as agents, heralds and stewards of a new day that's dawning. That's a challenge, isn't it? To be agents and stewards of a new day, a day that is, is, is coming, but that we can show glimpses of through our lives, our imperfect lives that can just begin to point to a future. This does mean that we need to leave some things behind. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, You need to take up your cross and deny yourself. But actually, that's not a kind of a self-beating flagellation thing. That's about choosing God's best for us. And that's not easy. And we can only do that with, with God's help. Because we need to renounce certain things. And self is probably right at the top of that list. Our selfish desires so often are the the centre, aren't they? Of disquiet. But God's help is there in scripture. And God's help is, is offered to us by the power of his spirit. And at the same time we need to rediscover what new creation looks like. See, although Jesus said, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross, he also said, I came to bring life in all its fullness. Fullness that looks like these things. Fullness that has that glimpse of perfection. Now we need to celebrate that. We need to celebrate that. It's like a flute. Forgive me, I hope I don't break this. So does Wendy. <laughs> like a flute it's, 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 a, it's actually a really beautiful object isn't it a flute it wouldn't be beautiful if I played it but actually listening to Wendy play it there is beauty and she can only develop that and, and as she plays she gets more and more able to play beautifully we have in front of us the opportunity to, to show beauty, and it's for us. I guess to practice that in our daily lives. But not by beating ourselves, but by asking God for help. I'm going to put it back before I break it. I'm going to get a bill. There we go. If it falls over now, it wasn't me, okay? There we go. We need to finish. But I wonder... I wonder, today, what what strikes you about the anticipation of the final victory of God? What challenges you about how you might be able to just begin to show glimpses in your life? How there may be things that you do need to renounce and say, actually, no, that's not God's best for me. It's not God's best for my family or my friends or my work colleagues. I need... To submit that into God's hands and maybe there are places where we need to discover the beauty that God has already given us and develop that like the playing of a flute we've run out of time I'm going to finish there